0: Good afternoon. As I was waiting for you to come in, I was the the second paramita is sila, a- and I was reflecting on my own experience of being a monk in Thailand, and uh, you know sila. In the monastic setting, is the the code of conduct that the monks and the nuns take up the parimoka. and my ex- my experience was that I was always doing something wrong, you know, and, and that the odds were soon someone was going to come up and point it out to me, you know. There there was one. Fortunately, my Thai was terrible and most of the other monks, their English wasn't very good either, so. <laughs> but there was one monk who was English, and so his English was excellent, and his Thai was excellent. <laughs> and he seemed to take a delight in uh, letting me know which rule I'd broken at any particular moment. And I remember when when I would eventually get back to my, you know, little hut, um, this sense of relief, you know, close the door, it's like, okay, you know. <laughs> I can sit down, point my feet in any direction I want, <laughs> scratch my head or whatever else, you know. And, you know. And it's an interesting recollection, you know, given the consideration, you know, that the, these rules of conduct, or the support, you know, that they are to support our practice, you know. And I was thinking of this when we were sitting in our opening circle, and, and, and Gil was saying, well, here's, here's our rules of conduct for IRC, you know, and then we have our rules of conduct the meditation hall. And then we have our rules of conduct or guidelines of conduct for the process of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And and this is, you know, an interesting, I mean they're all fascinating and interesting dimensions, but in a way as Gil was saying, you know, we will take the five precepts, but actually Nobody's likely to kill anybody else. (laughs) And and you know, if we were in the mood to steal, this is probably not where we would come to do it. (laughs) And then similarly with sexual misconduct and lying and intoxication. Um, But within the realm of awareness, within the realm of mindfulness, there are guidelines th- th- that um, are both specific and mysterious. Yeah. And, and as we emerge, immerse into retreat, yeah. it's a constant process of discovery and remembering you know some part of it is remembering what we learned in previous retreats and then a deeper way it's remembering what we will learn through being a human being you know that we're, we're always in the realm of experiencing what is you know we're, we're always in the realm of taking in what's happening in the moment, creating a response, and and then the combination of the two of those creating a state of mind and a behavior. So so both of these attributes, uh, discovery and remembering. And they're intertwined. They're and then this formidable challenge we give ourselves, you know. Someone was saying, Well, I just finished a retreat five days ago, you know? And in some ways that's a beautiful uh, pre- preparation for coming on retreat, you know, you, you, your body, your mind have immersed themselves within that retreat, and now it carries over to this retreat. No. Not to say that this retreat will be a breeze. Uh, every retreat turns out the way it turns out. But for most of us, coming from a life that's particularly different, you know, it it has different activities. Most likely, you're not spending so much time cross legged. Most likely, you are caught in the, the details of your life uh, and the consequential m- level of mental activity um, and behaviors. And then to enter an environment that's asking you to be radically different. Yeah. I thought it was touching, you know, when last night when Gil said, well, a many uh, were surprisingly tired today, and all the hands went up. And a many had a headache today, and the hands went up. Yeah. We ask a lot of ourselves doing this, you yeah. know. In, in many traditions, there is a sense of preparation, mm. physical preparation, mental preparation. You know, relating to your own behaviors and refining them in a way. Recently we asked, um, at the San Francisco Zen Center, we asked a a very good calligrapher, a Chinese calligrapher, to uh, do the Heart Sutra in Chinese. And he was telling me, before he started, he fasted for three days. Mm. Uh, A a very prominent uh, calligrapher, he did the calligraphy when the Olympics were in China, he did the calligraphy for their postage stamps. But that sense <laughs> of preparation. And I think many of us just sort of think, okay well I'll just come and I'll jump in off the deep end. Yeah. So we do. Mm-hmm. A- and, and then we, we're going, we're in this process of transitioning into monasticism, into being monks and nuns, into following the the paramoka, into internalizing the request, the deep request of practice, of holding our body still. Of Inviting awareness in, of asking our minds to stay clear and attentive, um, and of course we mess it up. No. It is wonderful that the next paramita is patience. You know, <laughs> I, I think the first, you know, number of days in a retreat, really ask that of us. And you know, I say all this, so there's a way in which when we can step back and just say to ourselves, well, of course, this is a big transition. And of course, I'm going to have all sorts of responses to that transition. and and, and it's like then we can check in with ourselves and okay all according to plan i'm tired my knees hurt um my mind is foggy yes i'm right on schedule (laughs) And I think many of us who've done many retreats uh, have just... What we've learned is that you continue diligently with the basics of the practice. You, You don't get busy wrestling with your experience, determinedly making it what it ought to be. And yet, there is intentionality. So along with the generosity of accepting the process of transition, then within that, the intentionality of sila. to, To sustain a conduct, behavioral, and internal that's, that supports awareness. Yeah. And and when we when we come at that with our karmic mind, there's a way in which um, we don't know what we're doing. No, our mind conjures up an idea. There's a line from a poem that I like. It's called True Vows by David White. And it starts off and he says, The vows you make out loud are the vows you break. The secret vow is the one you keep. We have all sorts of ideas what should and should not happen in our practice how we should or should not be behaving or having this experience or not having that experience. But as we continue to practice, as we continue to settle, we discover, we realize what it is to be aware. And this is the delicate balance for us, because that intentionality, albeit somewhat misguided, has, um, has its place. It, 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 not only does it have its relevance, but it have its, has its efficacy. It, 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 it will guide and instruct our involvement in our practice. And as we continue to practice, uh, and we expori- experience more deeply what's going on for us, then the demeanor, the the um, the involvement, the way we're relating to what's arising, starts to shift. Like it, it might seem that. Um, you know, sitting for 45 minutes might feel like, oh, well, that's onerous. Uh, my body gets tired and my mind gets tired and I might as well get up and walk. But sustaining the the posture as best you can, uh, It's not a rigid admonition. As best you can, sustaining the deliberate involvement. We're in a potent yogic process. And and a lot of it our mind, our cognitive mind will not figure out with sustaining that involvement, and immersing in that potent process, something uh, is learned. You know? When we sustain it, and then the bell rings, and then we go out, get up, and we go outside, often it's palpable. We, we can feel, and see, and hear, the spaciousness, yeah. but sustaining it has its own deliberate, intentional involvement, yeah. and and it's and the generosity that with which we approach this is vital, because as, as we pay attention. We will see how the mind wanders. We will see um, how the body contracts around its experiences. Uh, we, we will see how our own uh, intentionality starts to wane. Um, and, of course, all this can be food for negative thinking, self-criticism. No. And, and, and so that basis of generosity, you yeah. know, we, we are working with the human condition, you yeah. know. The, the, the karmic process that has brought us here, you know, we, c- we can, you know, in, in Buddhism, the interconnectedness of being, it's vast, you yeah. know and and adheres its current fruition, and to hold the arising with that kind of attitude. Mm. Really, as we immerse in the process, it's not so helpful to figure it all out, you know. Sometimes it, it, it gives us, um, some useful guidance and reference points. Uh, But but really they're they're setting the stage for the immersion. And not to say, you know, throw yourself in recklessly, but more to say, um, appreciate the nature of the request, what we're doing. We're leaping in suddenly into a whole new way of being and it's a little bit of a shock to the system. And we need to be patient and generous and supportive of how all that, of what that brings up and then within that, sustain an intentional, continuous involvement. And it sometimes seems like they're at odds, you know, this generous, patient consideration and this sustained involvement. And and th- and this is the um, this is the territory of sila. Yeah. Sometimes we take it and we turn it into should, I should, I should not. Yeah. And and, and then we w- we set up something success and failure. I've done what I should done, should have done. I've succeeded. I have not done what I should have done. I've failed. Yeah. It, 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 and that binary, you know, misses the the causal nature of existence. It's all sorts of factors contributing to who we are in any particular moment. Yeah. And that our intention in practice and sila is asking us to not formulate simply should and should not, Hmm. but to bring forth an intentional involvement that's supporting engagement, but with a wide attitude to what happens. Yeah. If, if we think of it in terms of our attention, you know, Gill was, you know, using this beautiful notion of we give attention. And we can give directed attention and we can give receptive attention. In, and, and really, this speaks to how we involve ourselves in the discovery, in the realization of mindfulness. Yeah. We, we attend deliberately and then we open to whatever happens. Yeah. And it's a different notion from, I'm attending deliberately, because there should be a particular outcome. So with this kind of approach, we're refining our own definition of sila, that which supports the process of waking up. In the time of Shakyamuni, um, as I've read it, uh, they they started to practice and they actually didn't formulate, they didn't have (coughs) preformed rules of any kind. But then as they started to practice, certain things come up and Shakyamuni said, well, that's not going to help in the realm of bringing forth awareness, yeah. and, and out of that grew up a, a variety of, you know, codes of conduct. Um, so we have, in our environment, our shared agreement, and then for each of us, there's a challenge. Within your own practice, to discover the more subtle details of what promotes awareness. Yeah. And in a way, it's, it's a beautiful guideline because it's so, so easily we can have preferences, what we like and what we don't like. And of course, we have all our habit energies, you know, of what we're inclined to do. It's kind of interesting for me to be here. I'm so inclined to do the Zen forms, and of course, some of them I hold on to, and uh, it, it's always helpful to step out of your own uh, you know familiar familiar environment. watch what you do and watch of your behavior. Has become habitual. Um. So we have our habitual and we have our intentional. And they both have this, well, the intentional has this quality of directed attention. And the habitual tends to move towards the not so conscious. Yeah. And then, it also can be woven in with our preferences. And then, the request of awareness is inviting us beyond both of those. In, In a way, it's inviting us into unknown territory. In a way. And then, in another way, almost mysterious. It's inviting us to um, express our deep intention of practice, as the poet David White would call it, the secret vow. It goes beyond should and should not. And this way of getting involved, this way of promoting intentional behavior, behavior that supports awareness, it enlivens our involvement. One of the ways we can um, make our practice difficult is where we have a should, I should follow my breathing like this, and then it it becomes kind of monotonous, maybe boring, or maybe kind of rigid, yeah. and um, any of those qualities makes doesn't really support awareness. No. This paying it, engaging purposefully. And seeing what happens, and experiencing what happens. Th- th- this this is what keeps the mind uh, fluid, attentive, a- a- and vitalized. Yeah. It's directed and receptive. Yeah. And then, how do we carry that with us? Yeah. And it's not so much that while we're sitting there's a lot of discriminative thinking, you know, we're not running an analytical commentary on our experience. This has happened on the level of experience and it's most vital beyond cognitive process. That when we're experiencing directly, the teaching's experiential, and the and the and the learning is is deeper. Yeah. So, trying to keep that um, spirit a, a, as we go further in into the retreat. Is there some way you're um, setting up something, to s- and then you're struggling with it? No. Can, can, can there be this lively awareness of what's going on for you? Yeah. You know. And and depend upon our personalities. You know, some of us are determined kind of push through, you know, and then some of us are hesitant. Yeah, but maybe I shouldn't do that because something might not work. Um, And they both can miss the mark, sometimes pushing through. uh, Our our mind is um, dulled by the um, By the difficulty of it, you know, we're just stirring up a way of struggling, and, and we're getting swamped by our own struggling. And then sometimes, if we hold back too much, um, it, it's too easy to get, wander off onto other things, other you know, get distracted from the process, the technique you've en- you're engaging by something else. And then for each of us to find how that works with our body, our state of being in that moment, and the technique we're using. Yeah. So something to watch for, you yeah. know. because when as i say when we make the mech- when we make the technique mechanical then it's actually quite difficult to stay with it yeah. there's a saying by mark twain having lost our way we redoubled our effort <laughs> <laughs> And, and both the generosity but but also a kind of um, equanimity yeah. and, and, um, and, and, and I would say that almost always it's beneficial to start deliberately with a particular technique. You know? and, and and hopefully, this is the product of thoughtfulness, personal experience, talking to a teacher, and and then engage that technique with directed attention. Yeah. But, but remembering the receptive attention, you know, directing. The inhale, awareness of the inhale like this, and being fully available for what happens. And that might seem maybe counterintuitive or like, well, how does that sustain continuous contact? Um, Well, actually, it does. Because if we attend to whatever arises, the contact is sustained Um, and the awareness stays lively and adaptable. So to have a technique that you're working with a way of relating to the breath of the body. Personally, I would say both, you know, the technique that I teach most is the breath in the body. Uh, I I find that uh, and but of course there are many techniques and you, you may have a lot of skill in a particular one. Uh, with that breath I- in the body, um, it, it also, as Gill was mentioning yesterday, it it also helps to establish um, awareness of body as as an awareness that we can carry with us. And when there's awareness of body, and and it's well-established, or established to some degree, as we have our experience, it's less to be likely just something that happens in our head. The awareness of body helps to open up the senses. The sound can be more just the sound and less my idea about it. How kind of that person to make that sound. (laughs) And, th- and then, that, that awareness can uh, be foundational, you know? And, th- and, th- and that's very helpful in two regards, because then, as, as we're moving around, and the mind is much more likely to be active, and much more likely to get caught up in thought, uh, when the awareness of body is close, we'll notice sooner. We're much more likely to notice that oh, uh, we're in thought. And to remember, you know, that in this environment, in contrast to most of the environments we're in, it's perfectly fine to just stop right there, whatever you're doing, however you're doing it, and uh and pause and come back to awareness i trained as a monk in thailand and uh, this is sort of things we were doing all the time and uh and then i decided to come to san francisco zen center and uh so in, in the place where I was in Thailand, we would walk slowly and, and you know, try to do everything. If you're gonna drink, you drink mindfully. And then and then I came to San Francisco Zen Center and uh and this wasn't exactly what was going on. And, and but I had this great notion about what was happening people would be walking fast and talking, and I was thinking everybody here is an amazing adept at mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I could never do that, and so for about the first couple of weeks I was kind of in awe of uh, the level of uh, skillfulness, and then of course I discovered that wasn't the whole story. But certainly on retreat. The sila of retreat is to allow that for yourself. Allow that slowing down, you know. It's okay to just stop and hear the chainsaw. Pleasant or unpleasant, you know. Or neutral. You know. It's okay to stop when you notice oh. The mind is thinking like this and just pause and let the body breathe. And when we do this, when we open up like this, sila seems like a gift. You know, it's so easy for us to think, you know, like we could translate sila as discipline you know but discipline has a little of a flavor of like it's getting yourself to do something you don't really want to do you know so it requires discipline you know. like I should do it um. but, but, but when sila is supported by this generosity you know that pausing and hearing the sound is like a gift, you know. We pause and we hear it, and in a way the simplicity of that experience undoes the complexity of our karmic formations. You know, those thoughts that adamantly declare what is adamantly describe reality, they're, they're softened, they're loosened. They're a version of reality. They, they are the thoughts that happen to be going through your head right then. I, I, and in that state of being, you know, where, where sila, and the intentionality it fosters is a gift. Um, it welcomes spaciousness, you know, and it also, uh, it provides a way of, of holding the afflictive emotions and thoughts, you know. Like, s- some of our more afflictive and habitual ways of thinking and feeling when, when they have some spaciousness it's an enormous gift for us because usually what they have is they contract into a very definite version of reality and maybe within our psychological makeup it has a lot of significance and conviction no. but we can hold it with a spacious generosity, it, it, it allows that mind not to be so adamant. And the fascinating thing about our consciousness is we can be in the throes of something, become aware of it, open to experiencing it and this quality of spacious presence can emerge, you know, and it's one of the greatest gifts we can offer ourselves yeah. and, and part of the fascination and great gift of our practice is that we can explore these attributes right in the breath no. as we allow the inhale, as we allow something to soften and open and receive, you know, as we, as we discover that, that applies to every experience that can happen. We can allow the sound, we can allow the touch. We cannot allow the sight. And we discover and we remember. Our breath, our body know all about this. As we touch it deeply there's a kind of uh-huh. No. And sometimes we taste a relief that's so tender that it brings a tear to our eye or a flood of tears. Sometimes it occurs to my mind that there's a nice analogy within hatha yoga, you know. In hatha yoga, uh, in in many of the asanas, there's a stretching of the body, and of course, the body has its residual tightness or stiffness, and it can't force your body to be flexible. But as as you meet the stiffness or the tightness of your body and you open up as thoroughly as possible to that experience, you can start to literally feel the request to let something soften. And this intimate engagement, it, it, it also works in the body of Sazen. You know, part of what we learn through those longer sittings. We, we, we learn to give over to something. Yeah. And as we learn it with the breath and the body, it, it sets the stage for learning it with our emotions. You know, the way the emotions can have their stiffness their contraction, uh-huh. and as we soften around it, um, it becomes more itself, and as it becomes more itself, it can be experienced as that, that intriguing phrase Gil was using, non-contention. No. It's just itself, it's not in opposition or competition with another experience you yeah. know this emotion is just this emotion it's just this amazing play of karmic conditioned existence yeah And when we attend, in, like in this way, we discover, in a way, we discover our personal sila, no. How do I work with this body that I have in a way that supports that? How do I work with the habit energies of my being in a way that supports that? Yeah. And as we engage it, inviting it to be a generous question. Yeah. So so easily it can have a tinge or a lot of self-criticism. Yeah. You, but really it's more an affirmation of of our intrinsic capacity for awareness. How can I be what I'm totally capable of being? How can I open to a way of being awake that's so precious and that I value so much? Yeah. Then, then, this kind of sila, this kind of request, um, our heart flows into it, you know, in a way that our heart can't flow into, I should, you know. But it's a delicate process. And, it's, and in some ways, it's very personal, and then in other ways, it's contagious. When, when we're doing it, we, we feel it of each other. You know. When someone enters the meditation hall with this great, sincere engagement in awareness, We feel it. Okay. Well, the chainsaw stopped, so it must be time to end. (laughs) (laughs) To go back to my starting point, you know. Of course, I ended up in this kind of. We're all enlightened, just uh, listen to the chainsaw. But to go go back to where I started, um, we throw ourselves into a pretty formidable process. So um, take care of yourself, you know. But keep your dedication, you know. Take care of yourself and stay thoroughly dedicated. Because this is like an amazing opportunity for us. Mm. Uh, All too soon, it it will uh, take another form and we'll be somewhere else doing something else. It's a fortunate occurrence that we've ended up here. Let's both uh, take care of ourselves and each other as we enter into it. And let's uh, be as thorough and dedicated as we can. Thank you.